Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be getting in there in just a moment. I'm so excited about all that's happening. Let me begin by saying happy official fifth birthday to OKC community. Today is our fifth birthday. So we, it is pretty, uh, pretty cool. We, it, was our la- it was the last Sunday of March, um, five years ago that we had our first gathering, which happened to be an Easter Sunday. Uh, but this is the day, I guess, that we celebrated. And so couple of amazing things that have been going on. Most of you are aware of just how God has been moving in prayer in our church, and many of you have been a part of 24-7 prayer over the last week. We're, we're about halfway through of what we've said, hey, we're going to do 24-7 uh, prayer for 14 days leading up to Easter to do a number of things. We know that's tied to our fifth birthday. That's tied to what we want to see Easter. And it's also just tied to what we feel like God's doing in our church. That's really the thing that, that we really feel God's uh, pushing us into, and I know so many of you have stepped in and done it. It's really just amazing to think about every, every hour of the day, every minute of the day for the last seven days, someone's been here praying, and it's just a powerful, powerful thought. And I've heard so many really um, encouraging stories of you. Uh, every time someone walks out, uh, if I happen to be here, I get to see you walk out, and usually you're smiling. I say, how was it? And you say, uh, it wasn't long enough. And So many people are enjoying um, what God's doing in their life, and it's not just about, of course, what we're enjoying. We know that God's moving, Uh, and and Caleb mentioned it. We we had a prayer and worship night on Wednesday night. It was powerful. I really encourage you to come be a part of this one this week, Uh, but we believe God's up to something, and we're going to talk about it more today uh, in different ways, but we're we're pushing towards Easter, and, and what I mean by that is uh, every year this, this signals something for us. It signals the, the truth of the gospel and the fullness of what Jesus came to do for us. And uh, I think for every one of us, it should put us on high alert, right? It should put us like on the edge of our seat to say, okay, once again, I get to remember the fullness of all that Jesus has done for me. But also, uh, what does this mean as we even sang today for the sake of the world? What does it mean for the people around me in my life that I need uh, that need Jesus, what does it mean for me to go and, and perhaps bring them to Easter to hear the message of Jesus? And so uh, I, I want to encourage us today as we, as we step into that. Um, this week, uh, with the Wednesday night, I know that there's a lot happening also in our world, specifically our state. Uh, we plan to pray for what's going on in our, with our schools and with our teachers. Um, we just want God's, God's, uh, God's favor in that to kind of uh, just just move in that whole situation. So we'll be spending some time praying for that this Wednesday night. I want to encourage you to come and if you're a teacher and be a part of that, we'd love to pray with you. So let me ask you something. Have you ever wanted something really bad? You know what I'm saying? Like you've wanted it really bad and maybe you've wanted a job really bad. Maybe you've wanted a car really bad and you've done whatever it takes to save the money, to get that thing, whatever it is. Or maybe you've wanted to learn how to do something. And you've like worked really hard to know how to do it. Maybe you've, you've went into some sort of season of learning. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I say kid, I was more like 19, that's not a kid, but I, was, I decided I wanted to learn how to play guitar, you know what I mean? And so I went and I got a cheap guitar and I bought a book to learn how to play guitar. That's what you used to buy, there are these books you used to buy <laughs> to learn how to do things before YouTube showed up. And, but I bought a book, and I learned how to play guitar, and, and, and I wanted it really bad. Like, I really wanted to do it. I was, I was pushed into it. And so let me just ask you, how many, maybe when you were a kid, you just wanted something really bad. You were asking for it for Christmas, or you were asking for it for your birthday. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about? You have that feeling. Uh, 
real quick, we, we don't do this often, but I want you to just tell the person next to you. Maybe you had your Red Rider BB gun thing, right? You know what I mean? That little moment in your life. What's, tell someone next to you, what's something really bad in your life that you've wanted at some point? Go ahead, tell them. I'm going to give you just 30 seconds. Go. All right, so I'm curious. Well, we don't have time to ask everybody, so I'll just tell you what I really wanted at one point. Um, this, my friends, is 30 years old, and this I bought in 1988, and this is a Tony Hawk Powell Peralta board. How many of you guys know what this is? It's four of you. <laughs> the rest of you don't get this and how bad this is. So bad as in, that's what I would say, 1988. You know what I'm saying? So when I was 10 years old, my birthday, all I wanted was this skateboard. And in 1988, this was 120 bucks to get the deck and all the trims. You know what I'm saying? So 120 bucks for a 10-year-old in 1988, that's like equivalent to what? Like $3,000 today? <laughs> Something like that. And so I, I raised my money. I got my birthday money. I went to Earl's Skate Shop. I bought this board. And I, it meant so much that I, yes, I'm standing up here with it today. <laughs> right? It does not go anywhere. My, my child asks me occasionally, and was like, can I ride your skateboard? I'm like, no, you cannot ride that skateboard. Um, but yes, Tony Hawk was king of the hill then. He still kind of is. And, uh, and I bought this board. I mean, sometimes when you want something really, really bad, you do whatever it takes to get it. Are you with me? And, and I think today what I want to do is I want to get into the word because I think there are times in life when it comes to if you want to say when it comes to life, but when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, there are things in time, at times that if you want it bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes to get it, right? Are you with me? If you want it bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. And so, Matthew chapter 8, we're going to be looking at that, verse 5. We're going to begin here, but we're going to be looking at several scriptures throughout Matthew chapter 8 and 9, so you can just kind of stay there. I'll be skipping around. And we're going to talk about what happens when, whenever you want something, whenever you need something, and you go to God, and what happens. So Matthew... 8, verse 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. So he knows that the authority of Jesus is, has to say the word, right? So let's stop here for a moment. Jesus is asked by a Roman centurion, which has its own bag of backstory. He had a need, a want, but it wasn't for himself, was it? It was for someone else, someone else that he obviously cared about. 
before we even get into that, let's talk about where Jesus is. Where's he at in this story? Anybody? Do you remember where I said? Capernaum, right? Now, Capernaum was a small village in the region of Galilee, uh, not far from Jesus' hometown of, of Nazareth. But there's a reason that Jesus was in Capernaum and not in Nazareth. And you don't have to turn there because we're going to stay in Matthew. But in Luke chapter 4, we read about an episode in which Jesus stands up in front of his own hometown and begins to tell them uh, a, a prophetic word that had been given about the coming Messiah. He reads it, and then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And he essentially claims, I am the Messiah to come that has come to save the world. And so this sort of takes his hometown uh, a, a little bit by surprise in this announcement and prediction. Uh, he also announces and predicts that he would be rejected by many. And, and I'll read Luke 4, um, and it'll be on the screen, starting in verse 21. It says, after he said this, it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. I mean, they were so angry they were going to kill Jesus right here at the beginning. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee on the Sabbath, and he taught the people. So it's widely accepted that Capernaum becomes sort of the home base, if you will, for Jesus and the disciples during his ministry. He didn't have a home. However, he would return here often. And uh, this was the home of Peter and Andrew and others. And so this was sort of a home base where they often went. And when he arrives there, he begins, we begin to see stories about Jesus um, and, and, and the miraculous power that he had and the authority that he walked in and the ability for him to not only do things like healing, but to, to speak the truth about God that they had never heard before. And so when we look at this story, go back to, Matthew chapter 8, you have this Roman official, a leader of leaders, humbly comes to a Jewish rabbi, and he asks him for help. Have you ever wanted something really bad, right? And when, you're bad, when you want something really bad, you're willing to do stuff that maybe you wouldn't do in other circumstances. Maybe you're actually willing to even humble yourself in ways that you would never humble yourself, right? And here's this Roman centurion coming to a Jewish rabbi, and he's saying, just say the word. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to come into my house, but just say the word. My servant will be healed. And then look at how Jesus responds in, in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such, say it with me, great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done, just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed in that moment. Now I realize I have a lot to learn about the Bible, but I don't think there's another instance in which Jesus was amazed by a person, right? Another version said he was astonished by this guy. I don't know if there's another example where Jesus is astonished by someone, but he's astonished. Why? Why is he astonished? Well, for a number of reasons, right? I mean, he is astonished. I think what the, the key phrase that he's astonished by is he says, just say the word. I have so much faith in your authority and so much faith in who you are. You don't even have to show up. You can just say the word and it's going to be done, Jesus. Great power is often released by great faith. Doesn't mean that the power doesn't exist. It just means it's released, right? So our faith is often linked to the things that we want. And we want and need things that actually require faith to actually see it happen. So we see the centurion, he has great faith, and then Jesus continues to go on. And in Matthew 9, Jesus 
is speaking and some men bring a paralyzed man to him on a mat. We've probably heard this story, but Matthew 9, verse 2, we read this. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. You can imagine, this is just sort of day-to-day in Jesus' life, right? He's in Capernaum. He sees this experience with the centurion. Not too long later, some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw, say it with me, their faith. Say it with me, their faith. He said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. A few verses later, he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. The guy stands up completely healed, right? And he leaves. And we see these miraculous stories of healing, and they're like, well, what, I mean, is this is the same today? Here's what we're actually looking at more than anything. We're looking at the faith that he keeps, he keeps trying to get people to increase in, right? And so he says, he says their faith, and if, if you know the longer version of the story, they don't just have faith, they go to immense action. There's a Mark's version of this story that's more detailed in which they go to a roof, they bust a hole in the roof, they have to go through all sorts of measures to get this guy to the feet of Jesus. When he gets to the feet of Jesus, Jesus looks up through the roof and he sees whose faith? He sees their faith and the work they did to get their friend to Jesus. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. They wanted something to happen, and they had the faith that led to an action. Matthew 9, verse 18. We're just going through the Bible, by the way. Matthew 9, verse 18. A synagogue leader come, came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hands on her. This sounds familiar, right? And she will live. This is an act of faith, isn't it? Jesus got up and went with them, and so did his disciples. So he's about to head to this guy's house. But in verse 20... He gets another moment and another encounter. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned, saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Say it with me. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Verse 23. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, just a little moment of healing on the way to the house, right? He saw a noisy crowd and people playing pipes, as you do. He said, go away. Sounds mean, but what he's meaning is you play pipes when someone's dead. Go away. The girl's not dead, but she's asleep. But they laughed at him because she had been dead for some time. After the crowd had been put outside, he went and took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread throughout that region. So that was verse 26. On and on throughout the Gospels, right? You see Jesus acting when faith is present. Verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your, say it with me, faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. So it seems to be a theme alive, doesn't there? The scriptures are up to something. They're inviting us into something. And it has something to do with our faith rising up. There's an interesting side note to this whole story in Matthew 13. Now, I know that's a little bit ahead, but we talk about why he's in Capernaum. We talk about Nazareth. Well, Jesus goes back to his hometown. The place he had to leave, and he decides to come back. In verse 54, it says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and miraculous power? 
This is the guy they tried to throw off the cliff, right? And then questions start to come up. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother, mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? It says they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is, with not, is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their, say it with me, lack of faith. Those who knew him couldn't swallow this, right? They couldn't put their faith in someone they felt like wasn't any different than them. They couldn't give authority to someone they felt like there was no different than them. And here's the thing I want to say today that I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying, but the, fr- the, the theology of the friend of Jesus is a, is a really good theology. But he is not just a friend, and he is not the same as you and me. He is king. He is authority. He is power. And although I want Jesus to be my friend, and he is, I cannot just make him my friend. I have to make him so much more than me. I have to elevate Jesus so much higher than me. Because of their lack of faith, Jesus didn't do many miracles. So we get this. We get that we have to have faith. And so I'm going to ask you, is this what this message is really about? That I'm just going to say, we need to have more faith if we want to see miracles happen. Am I I making this really obvious statement today? Well, here's what the centurion, the blind man, the hemorrhaging woman, the parent of the dead daughter, the the, the, the men, Caroline's the, the paralyzed man, here's what they all had. They didn't just have faith, they were desperate. They were desperate people. How bad do you want it? Have you ever been desperate? Being desperate is a little more than a desire for something, right? Being desperate is this place of unbridled sort of hope for breakthrough. Finding yourself in a place where you have no other options but Jesus. And we read in the scriptures about people who had faith, but they had more than just faith, because here's the thing, we all can say, and we identify ourselves as people of faith. So sure, we have a measure of faith, but do we have a desperate faith in which we have no other options but Jesus? This is the question we have, how bad do we really want it? And our word desperate is a word of weakness, isn't it? Desperate is an extreme word. Someone says, you know, I have a knee, but I don't want to seem desperate. Really? Are you sure about that? Maybe that's exactly what we need, is to be desperate. There's a scripture, right, in, in, in one of the parables that Jesus talks about. I talked about the persistent widow last week, where there's another one in which a guy comes and he starts knocking on the door in the middle of the night. And he says, hey, I need some bread, I need some bread. And, the guy, and he said, if your friend came to you in the middle of the night and starts knocking on the door asking for bread, you're, of course, you probably don't want to get up, but you're going to do it. Why? Because of the audacity and the boldness of that request. You're going to go, dude, you came in midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, and you need bread? All right, dude, here's your, here's your wonder. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to do it because of the audacity of the, of the request. And that's what desperate people do. Maybe that's exactly what we need. So I think about the world often, as you probably do as well, and I think about how there are 7 billion people in the world, 7 point something billion people in the world. It's a lot of people. And I think about this in, the, in regards to that there's so many different experiences that people have in the world based on where they were born. Meaning there are some people that, that have really hard lives because of simply where they were born. We've all thought about this reality. Some people have really cold lives because of where they were born. Poor Siberians. Some people have really like annoying lives because of where they were born. I hate the fee- people from Fiji, right? The beauty. I'm just kidding. I don't hate it. 
But you get what I'm saying? All about where you were born, like it, it, it shapes so much of your existence and so much of your reality of your life. And so many people are born with a lack of clean water or access to food or whatever it is. And it's just like, why is, why is this the way it is? And some people find themselves in desperate situations. And some people are born into a place and where they have endless privilege and excess. Are you with me? We have endless privilege and excess. And in that environment, how easy it is to not be desperate. Because when you're in that place where you don't really have any need, how do you e even get to a place of desperation when you don't have physical desperation around you? We have been born into a nation of mostly full of excess and privilege and little need, and that's not a bad thing, not something that I think we should feel guilty about because that's not, we didn't do it. We weren't responsible for that. However, it does require us to consider a question. Who are we becoming in, spite, in, in, in light of all these things? Who are we becoming as people who were born into this privilege and into this excess? I say all that knowing there's plenty of need all around us. But I also say that knowing that most of us could agree exactly what I'm saying. I'm convinced that building a passionate church in America is a really hard thing to do. I'm convinced that building a passionate church in Oklahoma is a really hard thing to do. And it's not because people say, oh, it's, everybody goes to church here. No, they don't. Really what happens here is everybody has a church experience here. Everybody has a God experience, and they've made a decision about how they want to live with or without God here. And so breaking through that wall, that's really hard because there's a lot of religion here. There's just not a lot of faith. There's not a lot of desperation because we have excess. We have privilege. We have, we have what we call blessing, which we all know that blessing is not privilege although we act like it is. And the reality is, we don't pray for desperation. We pray for God to give us more. We pray for God to, to give us more so we can feel more content. And here's the thing I want to say. There's nothing wrong with being content, although I believe we should live with a holy discontent. We should live with a holy discontent that leads us every day because the world is not right, and the world needs people that have a holy discontent that are not okay with the, things, the way things are. And it should rise up within us every day where there is something that we are desperate to see God do and we're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen because we want it that bad. So these people were desperate. And faith, right, is an action. This guy goes and he says, just say the word, Jesus. It's reaching out and thinking, if I can just touch his cloak, it's, bringing, it's being humble enough to bow and to say, I know that you can do this. If you just lay, lay your hands on her. It's crying out to him and saying, have mercy on us. It's, it's carrying your friend at whatever it takes, how hard, how hard it may be to get them to the feet of Jesus. And here's what I think we all know, but we, it's interesting how we, we struggle with this one. It's not religion or ceremony or tradition or methods or programs or worship or teaching or songs that bring the power of God into a church. It's desperation. But yet we cling to our religious rituals as the place where the power of God resides, and it doesn't. It resides in the people's desperate cry to do something that we can't. So let me, just say, let me ask you this. Can you just decide one day to be desperate? Okay, he's right. I'm going to be desperate. Can you just do this? This is like a switch. Well... Let's think of another way. We can use the word hunger and thirst. Like, I think this is an easy way to think about this and that, and that we, we, we have a hunger for things at times, right? We, we, we crave things at times when it comes to food. For example, some of us have craved, I mean, anybody in here craved chocolate? Anybody in here craved 
za, as in pizza, right? <laughs> get some za. Want to go get some za? Um, anybody, anybody crave peanut butter? That's one of mine. Like, you know what I'm saying? How many coffee cravers? Okay, so I was late to the party on coffee. I was 20 or 29 before I started liking coffee. And here's the thing about coffee. Before, I never understood why people liked it at one point in my life. It was, it was bitter water to me. You know what I mean? And, and it looked painful every time people drank it. They would go. <laughs> and I was like, why are you drinking this thing that you can barely stomach in your mouth? Like, I just never got it, right? And I was like, but there was a thing in my life going on, a, a story being built where Christy had an emptiness inside of her because I would not get up and drink coffee with her. This, this was a real deal. She was like, the man of my dreams, we were supposed to be sipping coffee in the mornings together. And I was like, I just don't do it. We'd go to Starbucks. She'd order coffee. I'd order a hot chocolate. I was like, yeah, Biente hot chocolate. This is not sexy to get a hot chocolate. You know what I'm saying? And so it was like this issue. And I realized I had heard people say, no, coffee is an acquired taste. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm going to push through because I'm a man. And I love my wife, and I'm going to do what it takes to fill this emptiness and become the man of her dreams. So I'm like, I'm going to acquire the taste of coffee. <laughs> you know, and so here I start doing this, and, for, and it was true. Here's the thing. After so long, right, I begin acquiring the taste where I actually like the taste of coffee. And I actually, now, to this day, I can say I can crave the taste of coffee. And here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm not comparing God and coffee because although Coffee is God to some of you. Um, I'm not comparing the two, right? Because the Lord tastes so much better. Um, however, for so many of us, we want to be desperate, but we want to acquire the taste for it. And what I mean by that is coming into Scripture reading, at first, it is not fun. I get it. You're like, oh, it's a commitment, isn't it? Anybody with me? It does not feel like the life-giving thrill ride that people describe reading scripture is. And you're just like, oh. You know, and it's, it's, it's labor. But then after so long, you acquire the taste. And you actually become hungry for that thing. Prayer is one of the same ways, like coming to the Lord in prayer every day. And that's, that's hard work. You have to push through. There's a, there's a season of, I'm not sure if this is having an impact. I'm not sure if this is working. I'm not sure if I really can keep going. But then there's a breakthrough. When that thing that you weren't sure about anymore becomes the thing that you actually crave now. And you acquire it, and you're like, I can't live without it. And you go two, three days without praying or reading scripture and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to get in the word. I need to get on my knees. And so many of us, we just haven't done the work to acquire the taste. We have faith, but no desperation. We believe that he's the son of God because, man, the alternative is, I don't know what the truth is. And so we, we adopt things to ease our mind without actually submitting to the things to actually be transformed. We are seeking and receiving Jesus so we can have peace, but we aren't submitting to Jesus so we can be peacemakers. Are you with me? So, what I love about the story of the centurion and the, I love about the story of 
the men carrying the men on the mat, even the parent coming, is they weren't even desperate for themselves, they were desperate for others. And so many of us don't even know how to be desperate for others. Last Sunday night, our small group was talking about prayer requests, and as we went around the circle, it was so life-giving to hear people start just, and I think it's a lot to do with what we're praying for as a church, they just start mentioning people that need Jesus in their life, and, and we just start, we just have all these names that we know need Jesus, and here's, it was so encouraging to hear that, but here was the hard part, it's like, now how does this group actually become desperate for these people? How do we become desperate in such a way that we're going to pray earnestly for them? We're going to do whatever it takes to get them to the feet of Jesus. You have people in your life that need Jesus, and maybe this week God will put them on your heart in a way that you've never had them put on your heart before. And, and I, I've, been, I've been saying this for the last four weeks now, but we need to let faith rise up in us. That God can actually break through those people you think can't be broken through to. That he can, and he will. And I'm not saying and predicting it's going to be next week, but I'm saying next week should not be missed. It is an opportunity. You need to do whatever it takes to get them to the feet of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And in that, in that regard, there's a lot of ways that could look, but I'm going to give you the real simple way. Get them, into a, get them into the church. And if you're not here next weekend, and you get them into a different church. Get them somewhere where they can hear the message of Jesus because you know, you know as well as I know, Easter's one of those days that people might have a soft spot to say, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. Because why? We live in America and we live in the United States. We, we actually live in Oklahoma. There's a religious experience and they realize that it's important, although they haven't submitted to it. And so we should use that as a way to say, okay, God, I'm going to let faith rise up. I'm going to trust and I'm going to actually do whatever I can to be desperate for someone else other than me. God's love for you, for us, I think we all want to say, we know that it's reckless, we know that it's out of control, it's perfect, and we just want people to experience that. It's not about us. It's not about feeling good about what we do. Ah, I got that person to church. You can see all God's, it's not about us. It's about people experiencing the love of God. You know, five years ago, on our first Easter Sunday, I did a message called, You Are Loved. And next week, I'm going to do a message called, You Are Loved. Because people need to know that God loves them. Loves them absolutely out of control, perfect, reckless love. And if you have someone in your life that needs to hear that, you need to get them there. Jesus acted upon the faith of people who were desperate. Some were desperate for themselves and some were desperate for others and both are good. <laughs> but it's a, best, it's a desperation for God about the things that we can't do. And it's also about the faith to believe that Jesus has the power and the authority to actually do it. When you're desperate, there might be times when people will think it's strange. There might be times where people will criticize you. People will actually try and hold you down and shut you up when you're desperate. I just believe that. I've seen it. I've felt it. I've had it happen. But it's not in our, it's it, but, but in our desperation, it's where we find faith. And in our faith, it's where we find the power of God. And it's in the power of God that we find the true and the most real things in life, such as what real blessing is and what real favor is and what real privilege is. We don't know what privilege is. We think we do. It's only found in the favor of God.
So the question is, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? I asked you that question at the very beginning. I'm asking you now. And I would say today, faith needs to rise up in this room. It needs to keep rising. We need to believe that God can save that person that's on your heart. God can save 100 people next week. God can say, God can do that if he wants to. We, don't, we say things in faith and we believe things in faith, but then we trust his will, whatever, whatever his will is. And so here's what I want to do today. I actually want to pray and spend, have some extra time for prayer. This altar is open, and, and what I mean by that is I want you to feel the freedom to come as an act of desperation to say, God, I want to get on my knees today, and I actually want to pray. Maybe you have a need in here that you need breakthrough in, and I do want you to come and pray for that need. If you're like, okay, God, I've been trying to do this on my own too long. It's time for me to realize I can't do it. I need to, he wants to take that off of you. You know that, right? He wants to lift that burden off of you. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And what he means by that is that weight that you're carrying where you're trying to do your life on your own, he's saying, I can lift that off of you and you can actually feel me walking with you through the hard things of life. And so maybe you need to be desperate to say, God, I'm tired, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I need you. And so you come and you're praying that today. Some of you need breakthrough there. And some of you have someone right now, I already know what's happened. The Holy Spirit's speaking in this room right now. The Spirit is falling in this room right now. And what he's saying to you is he's putting names in your head. He's putting people's faces in your brains. And you're like, that's the person I need to be thinking about right now. That's the person that needs Jesus. And what I'm saying is, I, God gave you that thought. Are you, how bad do you want it now? Are you going to be desperate enough? And I think it begins right now. It begins by getting on our knees and praying. And then it goes through the week and moments of action in which you do whatever it takes to get them to the feet of Jesus. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, that's okay. You're acting in faith, okay? You're acting in faith. That's what we do. We believe God can, and so we do what he calls us to do. And so it begins right now. And so maybe you're going to come and you're going to pray for someone or someone's, right? And we're just going to spend time praying this morning. And we're going to spend time trusting the Lord that he can give us the faith we need. So let me pray. Then we're going to enter into some worship while we come to the altar. Father, I pray right now that as I keep saying, you would let faith rise up in this room. The Lord, the fears or the, or the distraction or the, the people that may be even feeling like, ah. Oh, here we go again. I don't know what's in the, I don't know what attitudes are in here. I don't know if we're tired or distracted. I don't know what's going on, but Lord, I pray right now faith would rise up and that Lord, we wouldn't let anything, anything or anyone or the enemy get his foothold in here. We pray the enemy out. We pray against it. We know we can push it back. We can command it in your name because you're the all, you're all authority. So in Jesus' name, we pray the enemy out of this room. And we pray, Lord, your spirit to fall in this room in such a way in which we would feel and know that, Lord, you're calling us to be desperately in your, in your submitted presence, that we would be submitted to you in such a way that we, we would trust you, but also, Father, we would cry out to you, that we would be audacious and bold, that we would be persistent. So, God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. We have our prayer team here. If you need to be prayed with, please come to them. That's why they're here. And they want to pray with you and they can pray over you. 
and then this altar is open too. But I'm going to invite you to stand first. And uh, we're going to enter into worship. And as we sing, you feel freedom to come.